great to see you all, and I'm a little bit of a weak voice today, but it doesn't reflect my enthusiasm for this message. We come this morning to the woman at the well, and I have a beautiful painting that I've asked to be placed on the screen. This is a Greek Orthodox rendering of the woman at the well. It hangs in Holy Trinity Greek Orthodox Church. I love this rendition of the woman at the well because in the Greek Orthodox tradition, they always paint the radiance around the head and face of the divine. And I love this caricature of the woman as she carries that vessel and her hand outreached and looking at Jesus, not really aware yet of what's taking place in this conversation. So we're just gonna leave that beautiful painting on the screen throughout the message because it communicates so many, many things. This passage that Shanani read for us a little while ago, for me is one of the most beautiful passages in the New Testament because it is so welcoming, it is so hopeful, it is so loving, it is so kind, it is so patient. And every time I read it, I am reminded of what we talked about on January 15th, that the gospel is visible in our differences. And in this passage, there is, not, there is such a great difference between the presence of Jesus at the well and this Samaritan woman that the gospel is so visible even in this painting. It's so visible in this passage because the differences are so great. And this passage comes to me this week and every week to remind me that here is Jesus in the most unexpected place. Here is Jesus in a place that all of the religious leaders would be astounded to know that he was there because in the first few verses of chapter four of John, we find that Jesus was under suspicion about a dispute over baptism. And he decided he didn't want to be a part of that dispute, so he left town. Sometimes, friends, it's better to leave town. Some disputes you don't even need to be a part of. I don't know, is it an American tradition to be a part of every dispute going on? But Jesus leaves town. And he has to travel through Samaria. And it's noon of the day and it's a hot day and so Jesus stops and the scripture says he's tired, he's weary. And we are reminded of the humanity of Jesus in this passage and yet here he is sitting at the well and while he's sitting there at Jacob's well just outside of Sychar, this woman comes. And he asks her for a drink. Now what I have found fascinating in this passage this week is the progression of the woman's understanding of who she is talking to.
So in verse 9, Jesus refers, or the woman refers to Jesus as sir. In verse 11, sorry, in verse 9, she refers to him as a Jew. In verse 11, she refers to him as sir. In verse 19, she refers to Jesus as a prophet. In verse 25, she refers to him as the possible Messiah. And in verse 42, many Samaritans believe and claim that he is the savior of the world. I've been thinking about that progression this week. I'm thinking about what takes place in that progression. And, and let me just suggest to you that the conversation between Jesus and the woman at the well probably took longer than it did for us to read it. This may have been a conversation of an afternoon. And maybe what John gives us is sort of an executive summary. Because there's a lot of territory that's covered from verse 5 to verse 42. But let's look a little bit at what happens with each of these moments in this conversation. In verse 9, she addresses Jesus as a Jew, and she is struck by the disbelief that someone like Jesus would even ask her for a drink. That the chasm that separates them is so wide, she knows of the disruption between the Jews and the Samaritans and how the Samaritans behaved and how they were regarded as outcasts from the Jewish community. And they were separate, though they have Jewish roots in their heritage. But the Jews considered them to be worse than dogs. And so here they were, and this woman is astounded that Jesus would even be present and ask her for the favor of a drink. How is it that you, a Jew, would ask me for a drink? But notice that Jesus expands the conversation in that moment. Jesus expands the conversation from the temporal need to quench thirst to making provision for a living water that offers promise of more than temporary respite. It is, it is always like Jesus to change the conversation, isn't it? For this woman says, just let me have some of that living water so I don't come, have to come back here and keep drawing water from this well. And then in verse 11, the woman moves from acknowledging their ethnic differences to curiosity and calls him sir. His status has changed from being unlike her to being someone of respect. As she compares what she knows about their father Jacob, the provider of the well, and this man who offers her living water. And then as they have this conversation about living water, and Jesus says, go call your husband. 
And she says, I have no husband. And he says, you're right, you don't have a husband, you've had five. Now don't get caught up in the five husband thing, okay? Some of us want to get stuck on the smallest details. I'm just fascinated it doesn't deter Jesus. And it reminds me that sometimes the accumulation of some people's lives deter us from being present. It doesn't deter Jesus from being present. And here's Jesus, present as a man, present as a Jew, present with a woman he shouldn't be talking to in a place he shouldn't be visiting. All of those criteria don't deter Jesus from being present. And here's Jesus. And here's the gospel, right? The gospel is present in places that deter people many times because of the details. Don't get lost in the details. And as Jesus speaks to her about her life, notice the transition of Jesus from needing a drink to life-giving water to let me talk to you about your life. And the woman says, sir, clearly you are a prophet. And the woman's understanding of Jesus continues to expand. And in verse 25, the presence of Jesus awakens within her a spiritual discernment that overcomes her objectives and the details to reveal to her that the Messiah is coming and we've heard of the Messiah, and she reveals in her statement her thought that maybe, maybe this man is the Christ. Maybe this man is the Messiah, for we've heard of him. And what does Jesus say? I am he. And Jesus affirms her question or her suspicion, if you will, and makes himself known. And in verse 42, many Samaritans call him the savior of the world. And so in between that part and her understanding of Jesus as possibly the Messiah, the disciples return. And the disciples are wondering, why is he talking to this woman? And so they're the people who are deterred by the details. They're the people, they are the people who are, you know, Jesus, let's take care of the temporal things first. You need something to eat. No, I'm fine. I'm being sustained by something that you know nothing of. I'm being sustained by the will of the Father. See, Jesus is still talking about what is life-giving. And here is Jesus being sustained 
by unseen resources, by living water, by sustenance provided by God in heaven. And while the disciples are concerned about the details and deterred by the details, Jesus is saying, let's not be deterred by the details. They shouldn't distract us from what's taking place. We're going to pause here a while. Not only is he saying to them, don't worry about it, I'm, I'm in a place that I'm not supposed to be, but we're going to stay a while. We're going re- to do retreat here, men. And they spend several days What we don't know is all that took place in those several days, except that at the end of those several days, many of the Samaritans believe and they confess that this man is the Christ, the Savior of the world. And I am struck by this idea that this man has become to them the savior of the world because this man wasn't deterred by the details. This man was patient in the conversation. And I am reminded and we will If you go on and read through John and you get to chapters 14, 15, and 16 where Jesus is in the upper room with the disciples and he's having this final teaching discourse and he's teaching them about the Holy Spirit. And Jesus models for us the divinely constructed patience that's possible when we recognize and realize that the Holy Spirit is at work and that there is a privilege to being in the conversation as long as it may be. That we don't have to rush to the finish line to get a decision done. but that the Holy Spirit guided confession is the way of God. It's the way of Jesus. Now this story is obviously problematic. For Jesus is leading people to faith in God who are considered incapable of such faith. Let me ask you a question, church. Is there anyone in your life, in your world, that you believe is incapable of faith? Is there anyone in your life and world where you believe is incapable of faith because you've gotten caught up in the details and been deterred by the details? Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Be like Jesus. Just go be present. Just stay in the conversation. Keep showing up. Don't stop showing up. 
Somebody asked me for my definition of leadership the other day. Did you know leaders, that 90% of leadership is just being present? It's just showing up. Because if you don't show up, you can't lead. Because if you show up, you'll figure out the other 10%. The same thing is true here. 90% of this conversation between Jesus and this woman is just showing up. So I invite you, if there's someone that you have sort of decided that they're just not a candidate for following Jesus, go back and revisit that perception. Don't be deterred by the details and follow Jesus and just keep showing up. Just keep having the conversation. The other part of this that's problematic is Jesus is breaking all of the conventions of the Jewish faith. He shatters them. But this really is a forerunner of what's to come on Pentecost and what's to follow Pentecost. When God intervenes in Peter's life and gives him a vision that the gospel is to go to the Gentiles, and when God disrupts Saul's life and shapes him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. This is why I believe this is one of the most hopeful passages in the New Testament. Because the Holy Spirit of God comes through Jesus Christ into this woman's life and shatters all of the conventions, breaks all the rules, and says, here's living water. Here's more than you ever thought possible. Here's more recognition that even though you may be an outcast in your village, you're not an outcast in the kingdom of God. There's hope for me in that. And could I suggest to us that for most of us, the story of the Samaritan woman is our own story? If we look in the rearview mirror, we might recall when Jesus first became part of our awareness and then we recognized him as Jesus and then recognized him as Messiah and recognized him as Savior. And this woman makes a great confession, a great confession when she identifies Jesus as the potential Messiah, and then says to her neighbors, I want you to meet a man who told me all about my life. But when Jesus tells her all about his life, about her life, that's the only part of the story because what she's really saying to her neighbors is, and it didn't bother him, and it didn't deter him, and he still was present. So come and meet this man. And they gather around. 
the woman who was an outcast became the spiritual bridge for others. Think of that. Because someone wasn't deterred by the details or the conventions. You see, I recognize that the gospel of Jesus Christ is disruptive. That painting is disruptive. What it portrays is disruptive. But isn't that the gospel? A friend of mine, a former colleague at Point Loma Nazarene University, recently gave a devotion at a meeting I was at. His name's Carl Martin. He's a professor of literature and writing at Point Loma. And when he brought to us this devotional, this is how he opened it. My name is Carl Martin. I'm a disciple of Jesus whom I confess to be the Christ, the Son of the living God. Claiming the promise of the Apostle Paul made to the church at Rome, recorded in chapter 10, verses 8 to 9, that if I confess with my lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart God raised Christ from the dead, I will be saved. I claim this confession and this confession alone as the basis of my salvation. Dr. Martin makes that confessional statement at the beginning of every class. This woman makes her confession. What's your confession today? Are you confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord? that he is your savior? If so, enter into the conversation. If not, I invite you to come and to make that confession. We come to this prayer time as we do in every worship service here. And we invite people to come to be anointed for healing for yourself, for someone else. We invite you to come to this altar here to pray for whatever may be upon your heart. But I would say today especially that if you have been in conversation with the person called Jesus through the Holy Spirit, I invite you to come today and make the confession of faith that Jesus is your Christ, your Lord, your Savior. And there'll be other people coming. Nobody really will know why you're here unless you tell us. That's okay. But let it be so. We're going to sing the prayer chorus. I invite you to come and pray while we sing.